The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let me introduce myself. In the meantime, I'm Mark Ritter. I, I work, or I'm volunteering now for reasons of belief. However, I teach at Temecula Valley High School and uh, Palomar College and I, at APU. So, and I teach. I'm a science teacher, heads up. Um, which means, okay, heads up a lot. Um, I'm in high school mode like all week long, right? And part of my job there is to try to get the kids excited about science. So I have a tough time turning that off for adult people, right? So if, no, it's not a joke, it's sad. Um, so if I have a tendency to talk like your high school kids, please don't take it personally. It's just I'm, I'm really trying to change lanes right now. I mean, just, oh my gosh. It's the high school thing just kind of is better me. This is my 33rd year. Feel sorry for me, please. <laughs> and so it's like, it's one of those, it's just in my blood. So if I talk down to you at all, just go, oh, the poor guy, he needs to retire, because I, re- I really do. Um, I'm going to talk about, well, considering the heavens, um, one of the things I want to uh, give you a heads up about as well is that Reasons to Believe has a, well, I'm going to use the word billions sometimes, and if you're offended by that, I apologize. Um, as far as number of years, there are some uh, controversy between whether the universe is young or old. I'm not here to talk about the controversy. I'm just here to give you a scientific view of the cosmos from, through Christian eyes. Does that make sense? So if you leave saying, I don't believe a word he said. That's okay. I still love you. And you're wrong, but I still love you. And, <laughs> and, um, and it's, we still worship the same God. It's, what I'm going to talk about is not a salvation issue. If you walk away thinking, gosh, that universe is awesome. This is so awesome. Then success. That's all I want. And if the glory goes to the creator of this universe, then all the more success. That's, that's the whole point of today. If you have problems with uh, any of the stuff I talk about, I'll be here for as long as you want. But right now, it's just about God and how he put this whole thing together and how awesome. I've got to think of another word than awesome. So is there awesome in a different language that goes even farther? Um, how awesomely he put together this universe. I'm going to start off with this, which was just read. When I consider your heavens, I'm going to be doing this a lot, by the way. As far as that goes, these are going to be kind of wordy. And it's not because I like wordy uh, keynote presentations. I don't like wordy keynote presentations. I'd just rather have symbols up there. But I also put this on my own website in case people want to download it for notes later. Does that make sense? So if it's kind of wordy, don't go, I'm not watching this. It's so wordy. It is wordy. I'll give you that. But I also use it as a kind of for myself. This is from Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mine, I'm sorry, what is man that you are mindful of him? Um, the reason I bring that up is because there are actually people who see the vastness of space and wonder if there's a God. There are people I know, people I work with, and people I've read who uh, say, the universe is so big, there's no God, and if, he, if he's there, what does he care about us? Because it's so big. I don't get the logic there, but it's so big and vast, and we're a little puny little speck over here in the side of the universe, so we must mean nothing. Oh, no. Oh, no. My argument would be that the universe has to be that big, and we have to be this puny little speck for us to be here today, for us to enjoy life on this planet. So what I'm going to try to get through to everybody who doesn't quite believe this yet, oh, this is so pretty, is that is there evidence in the heavens of a providential caring God, and we're going to start with the first heaven. Most of you already believe that there's a providential caring God. That's, it's like I'm preaching in the choir here. Not literally that you have a choir here, but it's, it's one of those things you already get. But you can use these as tools to talk to people who are unbelieving. Does that make sense? To people who are like, this is, you, you Christians, all you care about is blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. We have a vast universe that shows that you really do mean something. There really is a providential God out there who put this whole thing together and didn't just slap it together. He crafted this thing like an artist paints a painting. It's a beautiful place. And I'm already getting excited. And you can tell the caffeine's already kicking in. It's, it's an awesome thing. Oh, wait, let me go back one. I'm sorry. Um, the thing about... Oh, you knucklehead. Um, I'm going to start from the first heaven meaning our atmosphere. I'll go to the second heaven, which is the rest of the creation, and hopefully we'll be drawn into the third heaven, which is the presence of God. Do you understand basically what I'm trying to get through? We're going to start here, work our way out to the universe, and then hopefully go into the third heaven, where I can say, look at the first heaven and the second heaven point to the third heaven. They point to the God of the Bible. 
I'm going to give you a lot of uh, crazy, wacky information. If you get overwhelmed, I'm sorry, but I kind of get excited about this. We'll go to the farthest reaches of the second heaven, which is the cosmos, and see how just mindful of us he really is. So again, my whole point is to show people that he really is mindful of us. We're not some uh, forgotten thing. We're not like, oh, the world, there was a God, and he made earth, and he spun it, and he flicked it over there. No, not at all. Not at all. It's a great, wonderful, beautiful place we live in. Let's consider the atmosphere first. Um, please say you know that we have a planet Earth. I'm going to start basic. And that planet Earth has a mass. There's stuff on uh, We're made of stuff. In the land of science, if you're made of stuff, you have gravity. You and I have gravity. We're, we're, everything that has mass here has some sort of gravity, very little gravity. I mean, in an amazingly small amount. But when you get a mass this big, the gravity actually makes uh, a dent. Uh, and we have just enough to keep this thin layer. Do you see this tiny, thin layer right here? That's our atmosphere right there. We don't have the giant, thick atmosphere that you see in, in drawings of, here's the Earth and here's the atmosphere. It's not like that. We're, we're paper thin. Actually, you know what? That's not a bad analogy. If you see the globes at Walmart, if you put a piece of saran wrap over it, that's about how thick our atmosphere is. But we have just enough mass to hold on to those gases. Those gases would rather be somewhere else. They'd rather be out in space. But the gravity is saying, nah, you're coming down here. Um, the good thing is this. If we had any more mass, as far as our planet's concerned, if our planet was any bigger, we'd have more gravity. If we have more gravity, that means we hold on to the more nasty gases, the bigger gases, like ammonia and too much methane. It's, it's just not good. On the other hand, if we were a smaller planet and we had less gravity, we wouldn't be able to hold on to stuff like water and carbon dioxide or even oxygen and nitrogen. So we just happen to be the right mass to... Uh, not allow the heavy gases, I'm sorry, to allow the heavy gases to stay, but not let the lighter gases escape. Does that make sense? In other words, we're just the right size with just the right gravity to hold on to just these gases that we have in the atmosphere, these life-giving gases, right? Too big and too small ain't going to work. In fact, there's, well, I'm jumping ahead. I'm getting so excited about Mars. Our atmosphere now is uh, about 20% oxygen. It's about 80% nitrogen, as you know, right? Because you all took science and you remember, right? Okay, because when I ask my kids in my class, what's it made of? CO2 and oxygen. Now, if it's that much, 80% CO2, we'd all be dead. Okay, then I don't know. Okay, thank you very much. We have about 80% nitrogen and 20% oxygen. And one of the things I do in my astronomy classes, I, I challenge them from day one. I say, if you can think of a better universe, because I live in a, I'm in a public school, right? So I can't use the G word. I went, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will make that real. Of course, you know, on a side, if, if they talk to me about it, I'm allowed to bring it up. But I can't st stand up there in class and go, you know, God made this atmosphere just perfectly. I would not work there the next day. So I have to give them a lot of hints and hope that the Holy Spirit does stuff. And, and he does often. Um, I, say, I tell my kids, if you can make a better Earth or a better universe, better solar system, tell me how. And all through the year, they say, what if we had this? 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 Say, no, 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 no. All these things have to work as we are now to have life on Earth. And this is one of them. 80% nitrogen and 20% oxygen, that's perfect. But we need more oxygen. What if we had like 100% oxygen? You go, no, dude, you don't want 100% oxygen. 100% oxygen, you light a match, and the match burns, and then you burn, and then the rest of the, and the, rest of the planet burns. So you want that? No. How about 50% oxygen? You don't want 50% oxygen. 50% oxygen means you have a forest fire that starts and doesn't stop. And you can have all the firefighters you want working on it. It doesn't stop till it runs out of fuel. And it'll, it'll burn very quickly. On the other hand, if you, have, sorry, if you have less oxygen, less oxygen, let's say like 15%, then the advanced critters such as we are start moving real slowly. Get down to about 10% or less and we're dead. So 20%, oh my goodness, what do you know? It just happens to be just right for us to enjoy this little afternoon here. Any more and any less, and we ain't here. And that's just oxygen. I haven't even talked about the other dozen things, and I, would, I could be here literally the rest of the day to talk about the other hundreds of things that have to be just perfect for there to be life right here. This is just one. Uh, this thin, invisible ozone layer keeps us alive by absorbing destructive radiation from space. Uh, if we had less ozone, it's just a thin layer. It's not like, by the way, to get one myth out of the way, it's not like, if you take a jet up, you can hit the ozone layer and bounce off. Ozone layer is miles thick, but it's very thin as far as ozone. Ozone, by the way, is O3. 
right? O2 is what we breathe. O3 is what the ozone is. Ozone up there is a blessing. The ozone up there says, I will absorb the UV. I will take the ultraviolet from the sun and, and absorb that energy so you down below don't die, which is kind of an awesome thing if you think about it. If we have any less ozone, the ultraviolet really bombards us. We have rampant skin cancer. The plants can't take it. Too much UV is a bad thing. Too much, it's just a bad thing. Ultraviolet light is not a life preserver. If you have any more, then we don't get enough of the sun's life-giving energy through the surface. The plants actually do need a little bit of UV to go through photosynthesis. So the amount of ozone up there, if there's any less, we're all going to fry or we're all going to have a widespread cancer. If we have any more, then the UV can't get down to a lot of photosynthesis. We, our ozone layer right now is just perfect. Not too much, not too little. Carbon dioxide. A lot of people think that carbon dioxide is like, it's evil because that means global warming and blah, 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 blah. I'm not here to talk about global warming, but carbon dioxide is a good, it's a good thing. It's like a blanket on our planet. Uh, we don't want too much, we don't want too little, but the amount of CO2 we have now actually keeps us kind of warm. It is genuinely like a nice blanket we have in it. It has this crazy weird thing about letting light in, but then as it re-radiates out in space as infrared, which is just heat, the CO2 says, you know, I let you in when you were a different sort of photon, but now you're infrared, and I'm holding on to you. And it holds on to the infrared and lets our planet warm up a little bit, which is kind of an awesome thing. Uh, any less, and we freeze. Plant life dies out. If we have any less CO2, because you guys remember science, right? Uh, plants need what? CO2. CO2, very good. They need CO2. If we have any much less, then the plants go, dude, I, I need CO2. I really need CO2. You want to live? Give me some CO2. So we have just enough CO2 to keep them alive. However, if we have more, then the temperatures generally do increase, and that's something our next generation should be concerned about. Uh, too much carbon dioxide, and we can actually heat up too much. Does the Earth have a, a, a preset default where it can kind of fix itself? Don't know. And that's the big controversy right now. If the CO2 levels really are going up, does the Earth say, don't worry about it, I got this? We don't know. One way or another, since we're stewards of this planet, we should be careful, right? <clears throat> Lightning. Lightning. We take lightning for granted. Um, lightning is kind of an awesome thing. We get struck about once a second on planet Earth, sometimes more, sometimes less, but average about once a second. Um, lightning actually does something magical. We're made of, our bodies are made of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen for the most part, right? We need the nitrogen, but the nitrogen's in the air. Why can't we just breathe nitrogen in and use that? Well, because the nitrogen says, no, I'm not reacting with anything. I'm N2, right? You guys remember chemistry, right? I'm nitrogen. I don't react with much of anything. Unless you hit me with a big old stinking lightning bolt. And when you get hit with a lightning bolt, it goes, whoa, and becomes NO2. NO2 reacts. I'm not giving you a chemistry quiz afterward. It becomes nitric acid with the water and falls down and gets into the, into the soil. A weak solution of nitric acid. It's not like, no acid from the sky. Uh, there's enough nitrogen now in the ground that the plants can pick it up, and that's part of the nitrogen cycle. Um, this happens just, oh poo, look what I did. I get so excited. Um, if we have less of this flaming lightning, we have less what we call fixed nitrogen, and we can't have the life cycle we have now. However, more, and we have too many fires. You guys know that lightning sets a lot of fires, yes? You don't want too much. On the other hand, you don't want too little. Guess what? Once a second on this planet is, is just right to have nitrogen as part of our life cycle, but to prevent overrunning us with fires all over the place and a lot of death. Uh, water vapor, which you can see in the clouds here, permeates through the atmosphere, delivering rain and keeping us warm. That's, this is a no-brainer, right? Water vapor is a wonderful thing. Of course, in California, we don't know what water vapor is, right? It's like, <laughs> Lord bless us with the rain. Uh, although my Sister-in-law in Missouri gets pummeled by it. It's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What is this rain you speak of? Uh, if you want more, then we get a runaway greenhouse effect because water in the atmosphere is similar to CO2. It's a, it's a holder on of, of heat. You don't, want, you don't want more. On the other hand, you don't want less because we need that, that life-giving water cycle. Please say you know that already, right? You know what the water cycle is? Please say yes. It evaporates from sea, falls on land. It's an awesome thing. And we happen to be on a planet that allows... Credial, I almost said a naughty word, uh, yucky old water uh, from the sea, which is full of fish stuff and salt and stuff, to be purified 
go over us and land 1,000 miles in there, which is a pretty awesome thing. Uh, the water vapor we have in the, in the sky right now is not too little. It's not too much. It's just perfect. Um, even our slow 24-hour rotation. Yes, we have a slow. T- Please say you know we live on planet Earth. It takes how long to go around? Yeah, right. Very lot. Some people in my class don't know. 365 days. No, that's, that's a year. How long does it take to spin? 360. No. 24 hours of spin around. That's what we call a day, right? Uh, it takes 24 hours to rotate, and it keeps our temperatures nice, and our wind's perfect. Even hurricane force is low. Oh, no, it's not, Mark. Hurricanes are awful. Okay, I would, I would argue that if I were in the middle of a hurricane, I'd be, it would be awful. But it could be worse. If we spin too much faster, right, which we used to spin a long time ago, if we spin too much faster, the winds are unbearable. Um, Many years ago, let's just say many years ago, the winds were hundreds of miles an hour constantly, day up and day down, to the point where it's pretty much unlivable for any sort of advanced critters like us. If we spin much more slowly, though, you can imagine this. If we spin slower, then we're going to face the sun longer, right, during the day, and it heats up. You think we've got bad temperatures now. Imagine 130, 140, 150 daily. If it spins around the other, now on a slow rotation, it's going to be freezing, right? So the temperatures go like this if we have a slow rotation rather than this which we have right now. 24-hour day is awesome for humanity. Bacteria, don't, they don't give a flip. Bacteria are like, whatever. Dude, I'm going to be living under this ocean. I don't care. But if you want people like us to live a nice life on this planet, 24-hour rotation is just perfect. See, there I go, the high school thing again. I'm sorry. Um, our liquid outer core, you guys know we have planet Earth. We have an inner core. We have an outer core. We have a liquid outer core. Well, it gives us a magnetic field which protects us from deadly solar winds. The most amazing thing about our happy uh, outer core is that it's liquid. And so we have swirling iron and nickel. And as it swirls, it actually sets up a magnetic field around this planet. When you have swirling liquid metals, it sets up a magnetic field, especially iron, sorry. And as this iron and nickel swirl, we get a big magnetic field. So what? Well, we get compasses, but we need more than that. The, the magnetic field says, no, solar winds, you will not hit us, because solar winds are, okay, here's the baby physics lessons. They're charged particles. And when you get charged particles together with magnetic fields, they do get out. So here come the charged particles from the sun. No, don't hit us. And they don't. They go up and around. It's like, awesome. How come you went that way? Because of your stupid magnetic field. That could not destroy people on Earth. Yay. Um, now, here's the thing. If we lose our magnetic field... It's not like we instantly die. The, the problem with the solar winds, the particles that the sun throws off constantly, is that they take the little H2Os and rip them to shreds. Ding, ding, ding. It's like pound rip. So after a while, we're eventually going to lose water off the planet. Magnetic fields are awesome if you want to keep water on a planet. I think we'd agree that water is a pretty good thing. So if we agree that water is a pretty good thing, then we'd agree that magnetic fields are pretty awesome. And they give us this happy little stuff right here. They give us the aurora, which you may see an aurora, actually see naked eye. That's on my bucket list. I'm, gonna, I'm afraid now to watch, actually see one because I feel like I'm going to die after I see it. Constant, visible, and beautiful reminders of our magnetic field's protective purposes. There's a weak spot in the magnetic field. Thankfully, it's where essentially nobody lives. And as this, some solar wind particles go, look, dude, a weak spot. And they come down into the weak spot, which are at the poles. And as the solar wind crashes through the atmosphere, the nitrogen and oxygen go, woo what was that? And as they do, they light up. And when they light up, they give us the aurora. Does that make sense? If we're seeing aurora down here, it's dangerous. It's not, it's not a good thing, necessarily. Nevertheless, yay for magnetic field. Hey, Marky, time this better next time. Come on, there you go. These factors and others give us the perfect atmosphere. There's way more than this. I'm just giving you the basic stuff. Um, let's go to the moon. Let's consider our moon. Um, this is, uh, I love the moon. Uh, the moon has slowed us. We used to have a much faster rotation. The moon, by yanking on us with its gravity, says, not so fast there, Earth. Boom, and actually slows us down, slows us down, slows us down. We're actually slowing down now. We have a 23-hour, 56-minute day now. We're actually slowing as we speak. But it slows so slowly that we'll never notice the difference. Uh, it keeps us steady. What I mean by is that is this. You, Please say you've been to Kmart or Walmart or someplace and seen those globes, right? And the globes are always tilted over, yes? Why are the globes, globes always tilted over? Because we're tilted with respect to the sun. We're, we're tilted over about 23 degrees. That's an awesome tilt. 
That's just the most amazing tilt ever, which is a whole different thing. We're spinning around on this tilt, so what? So the moon's allowing us to stay on that tilt. If we take the moon out, this is the most amazing thing. There are some computer simulations where they have the moon going around the Earth, right? la di da di da And they take the moon out, and all of a sudden the Earth starts going, whoa, 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 whoa. It starts wobbling back and forth. You put the moon back in, it goes right back to 23 degrees. It's like, oh, it's like a magic rock out there. The magic rock keeps us at 23 degrees. We don't want to be tilted more or less. If we're not tilted, if we're not tilted, let's say the sun is right there. If we're not tilted, with, I should have brought a globe. And there's the sun then the only place that's nice to live are these temperate zones. Right around the equator, it's too hot. Right around the poles, it's too cold. Right around here is where it's good to live. That's fine, but it kind of limits our, our living space, right? And then we start having more, even more wars, if that's imaginable, to, to try to fight it out for the living space. Because we're tilted, then sometimes we're tilted towards the sun, and sometimes on the other side of the earth, uh, sorry, on the other side of the year, we're tilted away. Tilted towards it, tilted away. Tilted towards, tilted away. That allows maximum living space, maximum beautiful living space on this earth. It's like somebody up there saying, you know what, go fill the earth and go wherever you want because it's a pretty groovy place to live. I'll give you all kinds. Did I say groovy? Man, that took me back. Um, that, that will give you maximum living space on this planet. So it keeps us still, it gives us tides, it stabilizes our orbit. Without it, literally, life couldn't exist. And I've heard this from non-theistic scientists saying, you know, without the moon, we're not here. Why? Because of this and this and this and this and this and this and this. But the creation of the moon is actually pretty amazing just in itself. Um, the latest, greatest theory on how the moon was created was because it just doesn't make sense. The moon is almost like a second planet around us, and it doesn't fit into any of the computer models. Nobody could figure out what was going on for decades. Why the heck is that dumb thing up there anyways? It just doesn't make sense. Um, very early on, this is the latest thing, and it may change. It probably won't because it fits a lot of the facts. Er, very early on, a Mars-sized planet struck Earth-1 at exactly the right angle and velocity to, well, first let me go back. Many years ago, Earth is like putzing around, la-di-da-di-da. There's probably a couple dozen planets in all the computer models, la-la-la-la. And there's this Mars-sized, by the way, Mars ain't that big. Mars is only about half the size of Earth. For some reason, this Mars-sized planet goes smack right into this Earth-1 and you go, oh my gosh, what a catastrophe. And it was catastrophic if there were any life there. You know who J.R.R. Tolkien is? Please say yes, right? Lord of the Rings and all that sort of stuff, right? He came up with this word called eucatastrophic, which means you, E-U in front of a word means good. It was a good catastrophe. It was something that seemed catastrophic at the time, but needed to be done in order for something good to happen, which is pretty much what the whole Lord of the Rings is about. Um, this is, uh, did I do that again? I swear. Um, it sheared off our thick crust. When it, we had a very thick crust, according to the best models, just like Venus does, a thick crust. You don't want a thick crust. Besides, thick crust is, makes your stomach ache. Am I right? Come on. <laughs> thin crust is the way to go. Uh, you want, that was lame. Uh, you want a thin crust for plate tectonics, which is an amazing thing. You want to wipe away our atmosphere. We just had too much of an atmosphere. Look at Venus. Venus is a dead planet, thick crust, thick atmosphere, no life. Um, it gave us a thicker core and more radioactive material. What do you mean? Okay, when this thing slams into us, it spills its guts literally into us. And its guts are all radioactive. So now, instead of having a relatively hot core that, that will cool down after a while, it's like, dang, we just warmed up, and we warmed up a lot. It's going to be molten down here for a gajillion years. So they can say gajillion because there's no really such numbers that nobody's offended. For a gajillion years. And because it's so molten down there, we can have this plate tectonic, so we can have mountains and valleys and oceans. Oh my, it's an awesome place to live. So the, whatever it was spilled its guts into us and provides us with a life-sustaining moon. And the great benefit of this is not only do we have a, an Earth, a planet more, um, more uh, suitable for life like we have, but we also have a moon that keeps it that way. And this is the best computer image that I've found so far. That's the Mars-sized Earth. A Mars-sized planet hits early Earth. This took a little longer than what you're seeing. And you can see our crust goes all over the place. This is our crust. But there's enough of our crust that gathers together after many days and days and days that it actually becomes what we think is the moon. All the computer simulations work this out. But let me tell you, the miracle of this is that it wasn't just two planets hitting each other. That's no big deal. If it hit us straight on like this, we would have exploded out. There would have been pretty much nothing left. It hit, if it hit us at a glancing blow, it would just hit us at a glancing blow. It had to hit at that angle. It had to hit at that angle 
for us to have a planet like we do now and a moon like we do now. You need an earth like ours and a moon like ours to have life on any sort of planet. You need that little moon out there, that little white ball of rock up there. If this is true, then what you're seeing tonight, when it's just past full, is our crust. That's where, we, that's where all the crust is. Well, that's good. It's a lighter rock that used to be our crust. Now we have a thin crust, a big, fat, hot middle, and we have almost no, almost no atmosphere compared to what we used to have. It's an awesome place because of this catastrophic thing. You understand, these are not Christian scientists who are coming up with this, right? These are atheistic scientists whom I love because Jesus tells me to, right? And you go, come here, what are you telling me? I'm telling you, if this thing hadn't happened, we wouldn't be here. I mean, it just, it's one of those amazing, they, they fall this short of calling it a miracle because you know a miracle implies God, right? But I, I'd say, is that, that's almost miraculous. So, yeah, it is. Oh, did I say miracle? No, it's not uh, because you're talking about that God thing. But it was a pretty amazing coincidence on how this whole thing got started. And that's just the moon. That's not even talking about all the rest of the stuff. So this is, again, why I'm hoping that my non-theistic scientists come over and say, you know, let's go to Starbucks and talk. I need to talk to you about some stuff. Okay. What would you like to talk about? This God of yours. Okay. Um, let's go beyond that. Considering our neighbors, there's Mars beyond the moon. A nice telescopic shot. Here's Venus. Uh, Venus is closer to the sun, and it has an atmosphere so heavy with carbon dioxide, it's like being under a kilometer of water. The pressure there is so intense, it's like having 100 times our pressure right here. Our pressure right here is, is pretty nice, and you don't feel it because this is the way we're designed so that we don't actually feel like we're being crushed. But if I took you to Venus, you would be crushed into a basketball as soon as you managed to make it out of the spacecraft. It ain't going to happen. It, it's so thick there that if I could take even the magic school bus, which we know would survive, if it lands there and we go out of the magic school bus, we could flap our wings and we could flap our hands and fly. That's how thick it is. It's like being underwater. Um, and a cloud cover with sulfuric acid. In the old days, they thought that cloud cover was, oh, that's cloud cover like us. There's, so there must be, even C.S. Lewis thought so, right? C.S. Lewis, whom I love and adore, wrote a book called Paralander, which was about Venus, right? That ain't, that ain't, those aren't water clouds. That's sulfuric acid droplets. Sulfuric acid droplets, last I checked, were dangerous. They make your eyes burn, and they'll eat through your skin and char it, and you will be, it'll be awful. Not only that, but it gets worse. A surface temperature of around 900 Fahrenheit because of all that carbon dioxide, right? It really heats up. Um, no water, uh, no plate tectonics, and worse, not a shopping mall in sight. Thank you very much. It's an awful place to live. But it's so beautiful in the books. That's fine. You can do whatever you want in the books, friend. Because even, like I said, if you go to Paralander, there's life there, and there's oceans and all that sort of stuff. I love Paralander. It's the best book ever. But it ain't Venus. Venus is, is our, it's our demonic sister out there. It's, it's one of those, we're almost twins, but we, that's about where it ends. We're about the same size, and that's all. But wait, there's more. There's Mars, who's just smaller, a little smaller and farther out, has almost no atmosphere, uh, no plate tectonics because it doesn't have that, that core that keeps it melted. Uh, and its water reservoirs are essentially frozen, so there's no life-giving water cycle. It's a dead place. We will find life there. No, I, I, I don't think you will, honestly. In fact, let me give you a little inside scoop. Um, if we do find life there, it's probably from Earth because we have all kinds of pollens and things that make it up to the upper atmosphere. And when you're up in, the upper, in the upper atmosphere and you're that light, you can actually get blown off the planet with solar winds. And the solar winds might actually carry you to Mars and might actually allow you to land there. So if they find life there, it will probably be Earth life. That's why they should check to see if it's got DNA and all that sort of stuff. Because it probably originated here. Shh, don't tell anybody. In other words, so if they find life, go, you know what, can I ask you a second question? How do you know it's not blown off of Earth? Now, if it's some big Martian guy like that, that's a whole different story. But if they find little microscopic stuff, yeah, hmm, I'll, I'll hold the jury out. Um, but look at, oh, you can't see it very well, huh? Look at, it's a happy planet. See that little crater that's got a smiley face? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. That's, I had to do that. Um, apparently, we are not too close. We're not too far. We're not too big. We're not too small. We're just the perfect size and distance from the sun for life. And we had that awesome moon. Uh, considering Jupiter and Saturn. 
This, these are just such beautiful planets. Jupiter and Saturn are at the perfect distance to do what, Mark? To leave our sensitive orbit alone. You don't want them any closer. If they come any closer, we have an almost circular orbit. la di da di da We go on our little chub. Doobie-doo. We're just enjoying. Yay, life is on Earth is awesome. If Jupiter and Saturn start moving on in, as they do in every other system we've seen, the big giant planets move in, then it's like la di da Oh, no. Oh, no. Mark. Whoosh. And off we go. We either crash into the sun, or we crash into the big guys, or we get slingshot, that's the term they use, slingshot out of our solar system. In every other solar system we've seen so far, they have giant Jovian, Jupiter-like planets, but they're all moving in. They're all moving in. They're all moving in. If they move in, they're going to sweep the place, right? They're the custodians of the solar system. And they just go, goodbye, Mars, goodbye, Earth, goodbye, Venus, goodbye, Mercury, and they go into their sun. Ours are staying out there because we have those guys called Uranus and Neptune, which said, hey, don't go anywhere. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, all those guys, they're all sitting there just at the perfect distance to say, okay, is everybody okay? Okay, everybody's okay. Let's, let's maintain these orbits. And they pull and tug on each other, and they stay out there. They were moving in until something happened a gajillion years ago, which allowed them to just go, oh, I guess we're just going to be happy here. We're happy they're out there, but what's the big deal about them? This is what they, this is what they do. They protect us from nasty, earthbound comets and asteroids. In 1994, if you were alive back then, uh, Jupiter captured an incoming comet and ate it, like it has done many times before. It's just a big bad brother out there, right? It's like, bring it on. You're going to attack my little buddy Earth? You're going to have to deal with me. And so when we have all the asteroids and comets, which are way beyond, I know there's the, the asteroid belt, but there's a lot of crud way out there. As they come towards the sun, Jupiter goes, you're mine. And either eats it or goes, get out of here, and flings it off into solar, and out of the solar system. It's like, oh, thank you. Occasionally we do get hit, but we don't get hit nearly as often. Here's another atheistic quote. I don't mean atheist like it's a, like it's a, by the way, this is what you should get out of my talk is I don't hate atheists. Atheists are people who don't know yet or maybe are struggling with something else. I still have to love them like Jesus does, right? Does it make sense, right? Amen? Okay. Um, when they do one of those, you know what? If it wasn't for Jupiter, we wouldn't be here. Well, didn't you just say that about the moon and our size and our distance? Yeah, but look, Jupiter, Jupiter, we get hit every 100,000 years or so and we're dead. We get hit big time. Did I say every 100,000? Every long time we get hit, and it wipes, it sterilizes Earth. Because of Jupiter, we don't get that big sterilization process. Um, we still get hit by the big ones occasionally, but not nearly as often, and always at the perfect time. Apparently, we have the perfect big brothers out there. Thank you, Jupiter, Saturn, and even Uranus and Neptune for making sure Jupiter and Saturn stay out there. Big brother's good. The little guys inside are good as well, which I did mention. They help stabilize our orbit. So all those guys, is that me? Mercury, Venus, Mars, all the way out to, I'm not going to include Pluto, I don't mean any offense, all the way out to Neptune, those guys are all like perfectly where they should be, so we can go, I'm going to the beach today, because if they aren't there, we ain't going to the beach today, we won't have a beach. Okay, now the sun, oh, the sun is an awesome thing, our sun is the perfect age and mass and brightness and generation for life, anything else, we're not here. If you've ever studied astronomy, you know there's not just one sort of star. There's not like, there's a million stars in the sky and they're all the same. They're not all the same. They're not all the same by any stretch of the imagination. It's like saying all humans are the same. It ain't happening. We have something called a G2 star, which is a yellow dwarf. We want a boring yellow dwarf. A boring, well, it, the sun will make you fall asleep if you stare at it. Of course, it'll make you go to sleep if you stare at it too. Um, this, this one of those things where it's not... You guys know that there's blue stars and red stars and yellow stars and white stars? No green stars. Sorry, green friends. Um, but the other, star, other colored stars mean pretty much death to us. You want a yellow star, our size, our age, right there, who says, you know what? I'm in kind of a period where I'm just going to burn some hydrogen and just leave me alone, which is good. I don't want him fired up. I don't want a baby star. I don't want an old star about to die. I want that star right there. That star is an awesome star. I don't want a bigger star. I don't want a smaller star. I'll tell you why. It's an awful thing otherwise. Um, I have to bring this up. There's something called the faint sun paradox. It says that through an amazingly complex list of coincidence... Oh, heck, I'll just do this for you. Just go with me with the billions for a second, okay? The, our star started off as kind of a, a temperamental brat, right? Uh, when the baby stars come in, they're like fighting. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to establish myself. You know, it's not unlike human children and stuff like that, where they're just trying to establish, who am I? Who am I? And they're kind of like, God, you're a pain in the rear end right now. Um, and they eventually <gasps> settle down. And as it does, the lumin what we call the luminosity, the energy pouring out of it, kind of goes up, kind of goes up, kind of goes, which is fine. Here's the thing, though. 
the sun, uh, however many gazillion years ago, was about 25% less luminous than it is now. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing because it's not enough heat on planet Earth. But early on planet Earth, we had a lot of CO2 before the plants came and started eating it all up. So we had a lot of CO2, big blanket and a weak sun. As the sun got more and more luminous, our CO2 levels went down, our blanket got thinner at exactly the most, one of the most amazing things. Our sun got more bright as the CO2 blanket got thinner. And so we can maintain a temperature right there, which is perfect for life. For all those years, we've had temperatures perfect for life. But it was cold. Yeah, it was cold. But it was hot. Yeah, it was hot. But it wasn't freezing cold to the point where all life froze. It wasn't boiling hot to the point where we lost all our water. It was just a nice, it's like a thermostat. It's still continuing to get hotter. The, the CO2 level is still going down. And now after this, it's going to be dangerous. But hopefully by then, the Lord will come back. <laughs> so there. <laughs> which I think is actually part of the plan. Um, our sun is a bachelor star, which means it's by... By the way, what am I supposed to be finished? I'm so sorry. I want to make sure I don't keep you here for dinner. Plus or minus... Okay, I'll just go with it. Our sun is a bachelor. Bachelors are a real term. It means it's alone. We don't want a buddy star around here. If we had a buddy star around us, our planet is going, do I go around you or do I go around you? I'm really confused now. I don't know what to do. And it's, it has an orbit that finally ends up, woof, see you later. You won't see planets around these guys, around binary star systems. And by the way, almost two-thirds of the stars out there that you see aren't by themselves. They're with little buddies that go around them, two or three or four or five buddies all spinning around each other. There's no way you can have planets out there that can support life. We need a boring, boring yellow star by itself. That's what that thing is out there, boring yellow star. Okay? Now, I wouldn't go to, up to its face and say boring yellow star. It would fry me to death. But we're just at the right distance from that boring yellow star. It's like, dude, we can't go to the beach today. But you can't go to the beach here because there ain't no planets. Of course, have, of course oh, by the way, having no star means death, right? There are actually some planets that have been flung out, and they're called rogue planets going, I got no home. I got no home. My star threw me out. I start just flying through space going, I don't even know what to do. And it's just rotating in space, boo-hoo-hoo. We're going around a boring star at just the perfect size distance with perfect brothers and sisters. Oh, my gosh, it's a perfect place. Und, let's see. If the sun had, a, like I said, if the sun had a buddy, it would stabilize us, destabilize us, and we wouldn't be here. Um, considering other stars. Do you see? I know it's really hard to see. I'm sorry about that. This is the Orion Nebula. Do you see those four stars right there? Those are the trapezium cluster. Our sun wasn't born near other big and destructive stars like these four. Those four are nasty, but they're so cute. Oh, no, they're not cute. They're cute from a great distance. You go up to them, and you won't be able to see because you'll be dead. Those four guys right there, in that four right there, there's just one star that's lighting up the whole cloud, just one star that's lighting the whole thing up. Um, in fact, I'll give you a closer view of this in the next slide. If I, there, These are the trapezium cluster. That's the nasty star. What you might be able to see is there's stars forming around it, but they're having their stuff blown off. Can you see the little tails here? They're actually having their schmutz blown away, so it can't make any solar system. This is the problem with having the giant stars. The giant stars are like... Yes, I am a giant star, and I will live fast and die young, and I will not have planets around me. And, I, and my little fellow stars around here, the little wussy guys, you won't even be able to hold on to the dust to make your stupid planets. They're just big bullies. Thankfully, they die early. They just go, boom, they supernova right out. But in the meantime, you lost all your stuff. You can't make a planet or nothing. Thankfully, we grew up in an area which had a couple supernovas before the sun was created, and therefore, we can have plenty of dust and gas to make plenty of planets, which allow us to be right here or go to the beach afterwards. The trapezium cluster are clearing away planet-making material from their siblings. No planet-making material and no planets. No planets, no internet, and no internet, no life. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but see, you know, you're laughing, but on the inside, you're going, God, he's right. He's right. We have to have internet. Um... This is what's going to happen to our star, according to all the theories. This is a beautiful thing called a planetary nebula. That's what's left of the star. This is all the stuff that's been fried off. Um, so sun-sized sun -sized stars, I've got to rephrase that, eventually go out in a blaze of glory. That's awesome. And ours will too, except it's got another gajillion years left. We're fine. We're all good. It's going to be perfect. We're here at the perfect time. This is a beautiful place to be, even though there's smog. 
but that's our fault. But humans here are, are here at exactly the right time to completely avoid this inevitable scenario. And many stars, which I kind of alluded to, like Betelgeuse, and, you know, there really is a star called Betelgeuse. In Orion, this guy right here, are bigger than our sun, and they live much faster and violently and die much younger. The big guys, the blue stars, the blue stars are beautiful things. Oh my gosh, they're beautiful. I mean, if you look through a telescope and it looks like a blue dot, it's like, oh, that's a pretty blue dot. This guy right here is now in its red giant phase. Betelgeuse is so big that if you put it where our sun is, it would, it would swallow this, the planets out to beyond Jupiter. It's just a big star. <laughs> but it's going to blow up too. The big guys go supernova. Supernova is a bad thing. If you really want to go to this happy little church and you really want to go to the beach afterwards, you don't want a supernova going off outside. So, or you don't want our sun to turn into supernova. When they die, they scour clean everything within hundreds of trillions of miles. And we have no big star life-threatening neighbors. The nearest star we have are some of the guys in Orion, but they're relatively young and they still have a gazillion of years left before they go supernova. Um, but we did have supernova, and this is why supernova are actually good. As to these explosions called supernovae, if they were closer to us, life is exterminated. We're dead. I mean, it, it just showers the place with all kinds of x-rays and UV. It's just like, it's just like, turn, it's like standing in an x-ray machine. I don't feel anything until five minutes later you drop dead because all your DNA has been just crashed and your whole body says, um, I'm shutting down, and you go dead. Um, if it's any farther, if we had supernova that were any farther, they wouldn't be able to spew out the whole periodic table. Do you know, know enough about astronomy to know that when supernova go off, they spew the periodic table. Here it goes, vaboosh, and they just spray the area with periodic table stuff, which is an awesome thing. But if they were farther away, we wouldn't have collected enough stuff around here to make planets and plants and you and me. Not in a spiritual sense, physical sense. If they're more frequent, life goes adios. If they're more infrequent, we have no planets. Wow, it's almost like the amount of supernova we have around here happens to be just perfect. They're not too far, they're not too close, they're not too infrequent, they're not too frequent. It's just, and by the way, you can start to see after a while that, come on, come on. What are the odds, 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 odds? You start stacking up all these odds, it's like something's going on here. And I'll show you some scientists shortly who think something's going on here. Um, we got stuck on a perfect planet surrounded by perfect neighbors circling the life-giving star which has the perfect life cycle. What are the odds? Um, let's consider the galaxy then. We live in a galaxy. Please say you know what the name of our galaxy is. It's the Milky Way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You don't know the kind of answers I hear. It's called the sun. No. No, it's called the Milky Way. Uh, we live on the only street in our galaxy which allows life. Here's an artist's rendition of our galaxy because we've ever, never actually seen it from above. We never get the picture back to go 100,000 light years out. Uh, this is the way we think it looks. We live right there. And guess where we have to live to have life? We have to live right there, pretty much. Um, if we were closer to the nucleus, this thing right here, we get supernovaed, radiated to death, and thrown out of a stable orbit. By the, there's a crud load of stars down there. They're popping off supernovas way more frequently. Um, so we pretty much get irradiated to death or we get flung out of our orbit by stars that are passing by. The stars won't crash into us, but as other stars pass by ours, our Earth goes, now who am I supposed to follow? The sun? Because I'm being tugged by the sky. And if you get tugged, then we go into a weird elliptical orbit and that's death. Too close, we fry. Too far, we freeze. Right now we have a beautifully circular orbit because there's nobody competing with the sun. Uh, farther, if we are farther out over here, farther out in the, skirts, there, in the outskirts, there's no planet-building material. There's nothing to build planets with. When people are looking for planets, the planet-seeking people, the people who look for life, la, 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 they don't look out here because there's no, they know there's no junk to make planets. They look right about two-thirds of the way out or maybe a little inner, but that's about, that's where they live. That's where you're going to have planets. That's where you're going to have planets that could sustain life. Boy, what a surprise we happen to be there. We live in the perfect type of galaxy for life, too. We live in the spiral galaxy. Spiral galaxy, this is Andromeda right here. A spiral galaxy has what shape? Yeah, it's spiral. I mean, that's how simple it is. Just zing. But it's a beautiful thing. We, don't, we live in a spiral like this, not an elliptical like this guy down here. Elliptical is just, yeah, they're kind of pretty, but they're just, they got no dust. They, all the gas has been used up. There's no planets. Nobody ever looks to an elliptical galaxy for life. They only look to spirals. And we happen to live in a spiral. Um... Hey, it appears we're located in the perfect place within a perfect type of galaxy. But wait, there's more. Considering the universe now, let's go back. We live in a cluster of galaxies like this, but at the safest place, the edge. 
um, at the edge, the spirals can survive. We live in a huge cluster of galaxies called the Virgo cluster. And we're just over here in the suburbs. We're like a little burp over here. It's the best seat in the house. It's the best place to be because all the other galaxies that are in this big cluster, they all interact with each other. If they interact with each other, then they collide. They collide, then you lose the sun and you lose the planet-making material. We're way out here going, you know what? I'm on the outskirts of the Virgo cluster and the view is awesome. We have the view because we're alive and we're alive because we're on the outskirts. If we live in the nasty inner places, we, it leads to collisions. Here are two galaxies actually colliding. Here's a really almost slow motion of, of two galaxies colliding. When they collide, the stars are so far apart that stars will probably never actually knock into each other. That's how far apart the stars are. But any poor little planet that's going around a star here is going to get thrown right out of this little solar system because of all the competition going around. This is not conducive to life. Yes, it's a beautiful thing, but it's not conducive to life. And when you get all that gas together, you make more stars, and more stars means more supernova. It's violent. This is the best, house in the best seat in the house to see this going on from very far away. You don't want to be part of it. It would look spectacular. Okay, you stick around. I'm going over here to watch it. You can go inside. It's like, I'd rather be down with the gladiators. I want to feel their acts. Okay, you have a fun time. I'll be up here in the stands watching the whole thing because this is the only safe place to see something like this. Um, and cannibalism, believe it or not, the call it cannibalism. We're actually two, one galaxy just <laughs> eats the other one. And we're actually big enough that we're consuming a couple of galaxies, which is another amazing thing. We actually, we're living the Milky Way, right? We're actually eating a couple little baby galaxies around us. That is so mean. Okay, first of all, galaxies aren't alive. It's going to be okay. Um, and it's like, uh, actually, give that. But isn't that mean when we eat other galaxies? Okay, dude, it's just stars. It's, it's going to be okay. Uh, what we actually do is now is incorporate their gas and dust into us, and so we can have constant life cycle of stars. It's a great place. Uh, either way, there's no life. We have to observe something like this. We live in the perfect galaxy on the perfect part of a perfect cluster. Um, now we're actually going to go to the edge of the universe. Are you ready to go to the edge of the universe? Even the magic school bus can't go there. Uh, the farther out we look, the further back in time we see. Now, whether you accept it or not, really the farther back we look, we actually look farther back in time. And we can see, and just bear with me for a second, for those of you who are not of an old age ilk, um, the, farther back, the farthest back we can look is about 13 billion light years out, which is about 13 billion years ago. We can see almost to the beginning of the universe because we're looking back in time. Does that make sense to you? The farther you look back, the farther back in time you look because it takes light a certain amount of time to get here. And so we can actually see the most babiest of galaxies out there. We can see actually the afterglow of the big, the creation event, sorry. You know what? There's a lot of uh, scientists in, in the uh, astronomical realm that call it the creation event now. They call it the Big Bang. And by the way, the Big Bang was just a derogatory term that Fred Hoyle came up with in the 50s saying, by the way, he's an atheist going, you stupid people believe in the Big Bang. And he didn't believe in the Big Bang because it pointed to a god. That's why he said Big Bang is stupid. All you guys who believe in this Big Bang. And he used it as a derogatory term to to uh, chide the people who were actually believe that because it points to a Lord God Almighty. We, and all of, a lot of us now call it the creation event because it really was the event at which all creation took place. Matter, time, space, energy all happened at that event. And we can look almost to the very beginning. Light was a lot... Just trust me on this one because I got to... Otherwise, I'm going to be here for another three hours trying to explain this. Uh, light was allowed to break free in the universe just about 380,000 years after the creation. We can see this light. This is the afterglow of the creation event. Believe it or not, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That's a bad way to start. If this Big Bang Theory is true, poof, and it really went out, um, we're act there's actually some leftover heat from that thing, and the leftover heat is all around us. We can actually now train our telescopes to map the sky to see where the heat is, and really smart people can say, you know what, I can, I can tell a lot from that heat. I can see how it's distributed and which direction it's going. The early universe must have been like this. The very first moments must have been like this. They're really brains. And these are not Christians. These are atheist science who say it all had a beginning. There was a beginning about 13.74 billion years ago. What happened before the beginning? I can't explain that. But there was a beginning. There's something rather than nothing. I cannot explain that. But then they'll say, but I'm wearing my science hat. So I can't talk about what happened before. I can only talk about what's happened since. This is what I like to try to do with my friends who have that 
attitude is like, how about you take your science, off, science hat off for a second, put on your philosophy hat, and let's talk about this. Why is there something rather than nothing? I don't know. If there's something rather than nothing, could that be that there's some be, something beyond? Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, and look at it. And it had to be greater because of the cause and effect. It had to be greater than what we have. There has to be something greater than we are out here. All this stuff is planned out, it looks like. Couldn't, doesn't that leave room for God? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe. And then I'll tell you about my atheistic thoughts later about why they are the way they are. God bless them. We cannot see beyond that to the first moments of creation, uh, but we can work out what happened, probably. Uh, as it turns out, okay, this is where I got to correct you if you think that the Big Bang was just a big, stupid explosion and it was dumb, and God doesn't do dumb things. I'm telling you now that if the Big Bang is true, it is the most finely tuned, orchestrated event that the universe has ever seen, has ever seen. It, happened, have, it had to happen at that exact time. That, oh my gosh, everything you can imagine about that first event had to happen exact, exactly to the second like we think it happened or we wouldn't have a planet Earth with us sitting here right now. So if somebody says, the Big Bang is stupid because it's just explosion and God doesn't do messes, I would say, time out. You don't know anything about the Big Bang, friend. The Big Bang is the most finely tuned event we know of. We can't conceive of a more finely tuned, orchestrated, choreographed event than the initial moments of the universe. If it hadn't happened, if it hadn't happened exactly like we think it happened, we wouldn't be here. Um, the creation event had to happen exactly as it did with all the parameters hyper-fine-tuned for us to be here today. And I don't mean parameters, I mean like the love for positives and negatives and the, the strong force and the weak force and all that sort. It had to be, there was somebody at some master control making sure all these knobs were working right, but we're not here. If somebody forgot that one knob up there, it wouldn't have happened. If somebody forgot that one knob up here, no stars. No planets, no stars, no life, no... Somebody was working this control booth, and the control booth was, had hundreds of buttons on it. It was an awesome thing. Oh, well, to me anyways. Um, and here's the thing, kind of the thing. If anything were any different, all the falling would have not, have not have happened. If it were any different, we wouldn't have had the initial critical expansion of the universe, which led to the creation of the first stars, which gathered together in, i got to time this better, the first and earliest galaxy parts, which were collected together to form the great collection of stars we call galaxies. You see, this is just one event happening after another, and it had to be that way at the beginning for this stuff to happen right here. But wait, with a beautiful spiral with generations of gas and dust, which gave us a perfect solar system at the perfect time, surrounding a perfect star, surrounded by the perfect outer planets, and the, you can guess the perfect inner planets, and a satellite for one perfect privileged planet, all that stuff had to be exactly as it was, exactly as it was when it started for this planet to be right here with a cute little moon going around it. If anything had been different, and I, I wish I could yell it louder, if anything had been different, nothing, nothing's here. Everything would have been different, and there would have been no life for sure. Okay, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, here's considering everything then. This is almost done. Considering our atmosphere, our moon, our neighbors, our sun, our galaxy, our place in the universe, the creation event itself, and more than 300 other things, which I can't even go into, and you're probably thankful for that. In other words, there's a list of things which I could say, that has to be perfect, that has to be perfect, that has to be perfect, that has to be perfect. With all this, <laughs> that was bad timing, many scientists are looking beyond the creation event and together with all the evidence of design, some are seeing a designer creator, which is like, that's an awesome thing. But then we'll see Jesus. Oh, shh, give him time. Shh. If they see a designer creator, that, the door is now opening, right? Does that make sense? If they don't see Jesus right away, it's okay. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going, come on, let's go through this door first. There's the designer creator, and they're being drawn into the third heaven, which is the presence of God. See, we've gone from the first heaven to the second heaven, now hopefully to the third. Here's considering the third heaven. I'm going to give you some scientists, who, none of them who are professing Christians, and listen to what they say. This is Paul Davies, brilliant man. Evidence for design of the universe and of earth for human life could rightly be described as overwhelming. He also says, there's, uh, for me, powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. Fred Hoyle, whom I mentioned before, who was a dyed-in-the-wool atheist, and we don't know how he ended up his life. He was doing a lot of changing at the end, so we're hoping that we go see him afterwards. Uh, this is after all his Big Bang smart aleck talk. 
well, as we survey all the evidence, the thought instantly arises that some supernatural agency, or rather capital A agency, must be involved. Oh, sorry, that's Greenstein. I'm so sorry. Fred Hoyle, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that superintellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces we're speaking about in nature. That was a major step for Fred Hoyle to say that. And then, of course, there's George Greenstein. As we survey all the evidence, the thought insistently rises that some supernatural agency must be involved. He goes on to say, is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific proof of the existence of the supreme being? Was it God who stepped in and so providentially crafted the cosmos for our benefit? Isn't that ironic? that a lot of the drive of a lot of scientists is to, we're, we're out here to prove we don't need any supernatural things. It's all natural. And the deeper they look into this, it's like God is everywhere. It's like God, you know, do whatever you want, man. I'm still here. Hello. If you go back to the farthest reaches of time, the Lord's going, I'm here too. If we look down at the atom, the Lord's going, it's like you can't get rid of this guy, it's just, which is kind of a cool thing if you think about it. Um, Arnold Penzias, astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the conditions required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. He won the Nobel Prize. This is Roger Penrose, brilliant mathematician. I would say that the universe has a purpose. It's just not, it's not there just by, somehow by chance. Easy for me to say. Um, Anthony Flew, who was, who was an atheist and who actually duped it out with C.S. Lewis back in the old days. He was the, they had little arguments, I mean public, what do you call them, debates. They had debates. Anthony Flew, now just, for, just a couple years before he died, said this. It seems to me, this is after all the evidence is pouring in, right? It seems to me that the case for an Aristotelian God who has the characteristics of power and also intelligence is now much stronger than it was ever before. And right before, oh, sorry, I had two, where I skipped it, didn't I? Sorry, the argument uh, to intelligent design is normally stronger than it was when I first met it. When he was duking it out with Lewis, we didn't have all this evidence, and he just went on, ah, no, there's no God, and this is why, and C.S. Lewis goes, la, 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 back and forth. It wasn't until he died just a couple years ago that he says, you know what, I think I was wrong the whole time. And the atheistic community just had a fit. Anthony Flew was lost his mind. Da, 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 da. He was just, he's an idiot. He's stupid. Because he came to the conclusion that there's something else going on. He went, he took the evidence and where the tooth led him. And we're hoping now that he died going, yep, that was him. That was Jesus Christ. Um, okay, then fine. Now finally. Next step for us to show them the God of the Bible is the intelligent designer. There's obviously some intelligent design going on here. Our step now as brothers and sisters in the Lord is to go show them, you know, you think there's a designer? Yes. Let me show you this book I got. It shows design all over the place. It shows an interactive personal God. It shows somebody who loves us and meticulously cares for us and choreographs and does all kinds of wonderful stuff throughout history so that we can have a wonderful time right here. Hmm. And how this can all affect us. We can see, no matter where we look, the power and majesty of God. Thank Jesus. And how he has taken care of us, fashioning this whole place as a wonderful temporary home. Here's a very, now the, this is not a Calvary Chapel conclusion, it really is. What, why, by the way, I say Calvary Chapel because my Calvary Chapel friends have, and in conclusion, and you say that four times over the 40 minutes, and last thing I like to say, that's not really the last thing you want to say. Uh, why should anyone consider the heavens, remember, because the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. And people with eyes to see and ears to hear can see that. Does that make sense? That's an awesome, I love this place so much. Um, here's, if, you, if you're into reading all about this stuff, I have a friend who wrote these books who is a brilliant astrophysicist. This is his latest one called Improbable Planet. Another one, Why you, the Universe is the Way It Is. They're just like, oh my gosh, this is awesome stuff. And he's very evangelical. So he will bring in the Lord all the time. And if you want to give it to your non-theistic friends or at least agnostic friends, this is written at an intelligence level while they're going, I can't, I can't argue with this. This is brilliant science based on the data, brilliant conclusions. But he also concludes that Jesus was the source of all this stuff. Hmm. And that's where, he's, that's where we're hopefully drawing them closer. And because, you know, and, and by the way, there's, the, there's reasons.org, which is a wonderful resource, swordandspirit.com, which is my own site, which is a mediocre resource, and godandscience.org, which is my friend's site, who writes prolifically, and he's a brilliant scientist as well. Um, one thing I want to say before I finish this, when you encounter atheists, when you actually encounter atheists and you actually talk to them, I have never, 
ever, ever heard in 40 plus years of actually talking intelligently with atheists a good argument for no God. They never said, well, here's the smoking gun. Look, there is no God. They gave me weak arguments, awfully. I mean, they're weak arguments as in they're awful arguments. And it doesn't mean I love them any less. It's just, come on, dude. And then you think, there's got to be something going on besides this. And there always is. Inevitably, in my experience and the experience of my friends who actually speak with atheists, it always comes down to two things. Either they had some bad experience with God. Like, why did God take the life of my mother when I was eight? Then explain that. Okay, now, that's good. Now we're opening up. It's not because of all the evidence, right? It's because you had this emotional trauma, right? And admittedly, it's an emotional trauma, and, some, and there's nobody there to walk them through it. So, of course, they blame God, and they hate God for the rest of their lives. Or they try to justify a lifestyle which is not exactly conducive to Christianity, right? Does it make sense? Carl Sagan's a perfect example. Carl Sagan was, I will say a womanizer because he would have said it himself, but he went against Christianity all the time. Not because there was evidence, just because he would have to stop doing what he's doing. And that's been my experience and the experience of people more brilliant than I. When we have discussions with atheists, it's always because, it's always because either some traumatic experience or because they're trying to justify a, a lifestyle that's not conducive to our faith. Well, in which case, we've got to realize that and maybe sometimes cut to the chase and go into Starbucks and go, let's talk about what's really on your mind. Why are you truly rejecting Jesus Christ? Why are you rejecting this, this Christian faith? And if they're honest, then they'll usually say stuff like that. The arguments are always awful, especially when you just tidal wave them with this stuff. It's like, dude, you can't escape this. Why do you keep running? You know the hound of heaven's after you, knucklehead. Why don't you just cave in? I can't because. Okay, now, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Now let's talk about that.